social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Now put your hands up if you missed hearing that theme song. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, my hand is very high. Hi, Michelle. Hello. To all of our listeners, welcome back to season six of All the Social Ladies. Can you believe we're at season six? I I mean, it's only our second season. Yeah, but still, it's like... It's still, yeah, it's exciting. For sure. Well, a lot has happened since we've been gone. You really had that queued up. <laughs> it's such a good song. But seriously, a lot has happened. Clubhouse. Dispo. And, and kind got of, canceled yeah, at the same time. Yeah, kind of got canceled. Vaccines. Incredible. We got vaccinated last weekend. Feeling we great. We're feeling good. The TikTok feta pasta that everybody made at home. And now it's the honeycomb pasta. Have you seen that? I have not. But I actually have a thought that I wanted to bring up about the feta pasta. Okay, go ahead. What happened to baked ziti? Why are these people acting like they've never had pasta (laughs) with hot cheese before? I've honestly been thinking about this for months. That's a good question. But now honeycomb pasta is the one where you take like the rigatoni noodles. Rigatone. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And you put it in the pan so they are like standing up straight side up yes and you fill it with cheese every single tube and it makes the shape of a honeycomb i feel like real italians are rolling over in their graves right now (laughs) anyway on the topic of tiktok do you think you've been spending more or less time on the app since we last spoke i think i'm spending more focused time on the app focused time tell me about that now it's part of my bedtime routine (laughs) so before where there was like literally nothing else to do I just kind of scrolled for hours but now it's more of like okay I'll watch for 15 minutes before bed and see all the videos that people have sent me send some out good to go I was reading a report earlier about how older users are engaging on the platform (laughs) well that's what I was just looking into to see what they're quantifying as older but it's definitely parents so you're not in that category i mean i could be a parent sure um (laughs) but we're seeing popular hashtags amongst the older crowd being hashtag family hashtag family time hashtag parenting hashtag moms of tiktok hashtag mom life and i think this goes without saying but parents are more likely to be posting about home appliances snack products business and cars i was gonna say i love this because I feel like a lot of brands have shut down TikTok for influencers because they think it's just the young influencers. For sure. But from what you're saying, if people and parents are going there for more, you know, mom inspiration. mom inspiration, mom inspiration, time to tap into those mommy bloggers. I know. I kind of love the evolution of it and would encourage people to lean into it a little bit more. Yeah. It's a nice risk-taking platform we've come to learn. One thing that hasn't changed since we last spoke is Zoom zoom meetings everything is still a zoom meeting everything is still zoom i actually wanted to share this thing that i heard called reverse meetings that is supposed to put an end to zoom fatigue okay it's this idea that we're supposed to adopt virtual office hours i love that and just hold some time on your calendar for colleagues or friends or family to kind of pop in as they need to ask questions and engage instead of just putting another 15, 30-minute meeting on I the calendar. I was honestly thinking about that yesterday. In the office, if someone had a question, they could just swing by your desk. Now everything is a meeting, and I feel like my calendar is booked. Booked, back to back. Even if I put, you know, uh, no meeting day, 
people are still gonna have questions everyone always has questions i know and it's about making time for them and sometimes slack just doesn't cut it yeah another thing related to the zoom fatigue thing is still zoom happy hours happening yes and it's funny because i wanted to share that i discovered a new app this morning oh um it's similar to snapchat where it's using your geolocation and the ui is pretty similar but it's called beer buddy and it's a social app where it lets you log when you're drinking, be it a beer, a glass of red wine, a cocktail. And it shows you on the map as to where you're consuming it. And I just thought it would be funny because we're all still... Does it share like who else is drinking at the same time as you? Yeah, you so can, like... it's actually linking your Snapchat friends. Oh, so interesting. Exactly. So you could see that I'm drinking at my house. Because I have Untapped, which is like to help you track. Discover viewers. Yeah, what, what you like. Yeah, but yeah. this is more of a social standpoint. Cool. Exactly. Yeah, people are starting to go out more again, outdoor dining, um, a lot more kind of lifting to places. Which Ooh, I see what you did there. <laughs> are, you know, a good DD yeah. moment. I know, I love that. Well, super perfect lead in to our guest this week. Yeah, so today we talked to Bryna Corcoran, who is the Director of Social Media at, you guessed it, Lyft. Lyft. (laughs) I'm really excited to be kicking off the season with her because Michelle and I have both followed her on Twitter for a while now, and it was kind of like a dream guest scenario. And she shares a lot of interesting tidbits about partnerships and her career, and I'm excited for y'all to hear it. Let's go. Hi, Bryna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you as our first guest this season. I'm excited to be the first guest, so I'm very flattered by that. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. We start every episode with a social media speed round with some rapid fire questions that you can try to answer in like a couple words or fewer. And we've revamped the questions for this season. So there's a couple new ones in here. Okay. Hit me. Okay. First one is, what's your favorite social network? Right now it's TikTok. I feel like everyone probably says that, (laughs) but it's genuinely the one corner of the internet that's making me happy on a daily basis. Okay. Do you pronounce it GIF or JIF? Oh, I say GIF. That's the right answer. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. In my book. (laughs) What Instagram ad can you not get rid of? That's a tough one. Um, the there was one I totally don't remember the name of it, but for toilet paper in the early days yep. of the pandemic, and it was like one of those bland millennial brands, right? Of I know exactly paper. what you're talking okay. about. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I can't remember the name of it, but I can picture it in my head. And it was early days of COVID, and I remember thinking, "Damn, that's actually pretty <laughs> smart of them to tap into that cultural yeah. insight." Perfect segue. Yeah. What is your go-to emoji? Um, the okay, there's two actually. I always uses the pray hands Mm because I feel like that is like please and thank you you know (laughs) um and I use the girl who or guy girl guy who sort of slaps the top of their head like duh like oh yeah you know so those two I use I tend to use a lot those are good ones Mm -hmm. okay who is your favorite celebrity to follow on social it's changed. I think in COVID days, I used to be, for some reason, I used to be obsessed with anything the Kardashians did. I <laughs> thought they were like so great. I follow them on all the channels. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of got bored with them yeah. during COVID. And I started to gravitate more towards just average people on TikTok. I don't know how yeah. else to describe them. But yeah, I feel like Celeb wise, I don't know. I feel like maybe The Weeknd is a fun yeah. one to follow. But that's an interesting question. I think I need to reevaluate that 
my <laughs> tastes have changed. What about stories or feed? Mm, stories all the way. I'm, I don't know about other brands, but um, <laughs> I'm seeing on the lift side of things, I'm seeing more views on our stories yeah. than we do on in-feed. I think a lot of the social networks are kind of like gaming their algorithms so that stories pop more. Mm -hmm. I also feel like it's just easier to digest, you know, tap, 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 and you get the gist and you right. move on. Right. So I'm a stories girl. Okay. Last question in the speed round. What was your mm -hmm. first screen name? Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous. It was Bryna Spice. Ooh, like a Spice uh, Girl? Yes, named after Jerry, Ginger, oh, wow. Ginger Spice. I was obsessed with her. And that, I think, was one of my early screen names was Bryna Spice. That's a really good one. I kind of want you to still have it. Like, that feels <laughs> like it's so powerful still. <laughs> well, cool. We will jump into the interview now. So we want to start with kind of just a little bit of an elevator pitch. Tell us, you know, a little bit about your career and what brought you to Lyft. Yeah. Okay. I'll try and do it succinctly. <laughs> it's 15 plus year long career. So I actually, I don't know if a lot of people know this, maybe you do because it was in my bio at some point on Twitter, but I'm actually Canadian. I grew up in Toronto, Canada cool. and went to design school. So I actually had ambitions of being a graphic designer. I would have daydreams about one day owning my own agency and it would be in a loft Yes, you are, I don't know why you are speaking my language. I have chills. Yeah, Jen's jaws on the ground. That's like that's, your dream. That's also my dream. Yes. And I, it had to be in a loft. I was going to have an agency and it was going to be set in a loft. Yep. You could bring dogs to work. That was like something uh, that was very important to me when I was daydreaming my own agency. Um, so I went to design school. So I actually have a graphic design background. Um, thought I would just be, you know, a designer making ads, making websites, designing. Like we all like, uh, you know, you guys are very well versed mm -hmm. in. And in Toronto, in Canada, it's a bilingual country. So I actually speak French as well and applied to this job at HP Canada that required someone who could design and develop HP.com, but also could speak French because legally in the Canadian market, if you're a company, you have to have two languages. Yeah. You have to have French version of your website and an English version of your website. So I threw my hat in the ring and because I spoke French, I got bumped to the top. So I ended up working for HP Canada as part of their sort of like in-house agency that would design all the collateral and design all the marketing and eventually got a chance as social was sort of picking up speed. This was like 2007-ish. Mm. There was this big initiative internally at HP to figure it out. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. hey, we as a company should really develop a strategy. How do we do this across the globe and make sure HP in Canada feels like HP in the US mm -hmm. or HP in China. So there's brand consistency across all of it. And I got tapped to kind of be pulled into this incubator team. And the rest is sort of history from there. After eight years of HP, which I loved working there, it was so amazing. If you ever have a chance to work at a big global brand, it's definitely worth it. But I got tired of kind of the same old, same old. You know, there's only so many ways you can market a laptop, right? <laughs> I decided to chase the early agency dream that I had. And I went over to the agency side where I worked at Weber Stanwyck and worked at Accenture, where I was developing content, social functions, and brand strategies for companies like Mattel, Microsoft, Samsung. And I did that for about five, six years. And then kind of craved going back in-house to thinking about one brand and went to Dolby. Not a lot of people know Dolby. There's a certain age group that does, and then there's a younger age group that's not as familiar. But Dolby was building out its first B2C brand mm -hmm. team, which I was part of, and built out content 
influencer social, their social strategy, and then got a chance to go over to Stitch Fix. So if you guys are familiar with fashion, totally description model, went over to Stitch Fix to build out the content influencer arm there. And then most recently joined Lyft about a year ago. So my one year anniversary at Lyft is going to be May 4th. The reason I remember that is because as you guys, internet culture junkies, may the 4th be with you. I was for hoping some you were going to say that. Yep. <laughs> <For some laughs> reason, Star Wars like, Day, of course. Exactly. I started on Star Wars Day and I started, what was interesting about Lyft is I was interviewing for the role pre-COVID mm-hmm. and then got the job during COVID and started on May 4th, which was like peak COVID. (laughs) So it's been an interesting ride in my first year at Lyft, just trying to navigate all of that. No pun intended. Interesting ride. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I think, um, you know, to to summarize, my career has been sort of bookended by in-house brand teams and then agency in the middle, the meat in the middle of my sandwich. So Mm -hmm. career sandwich. (laughs) But yeah, most recently at Lyft coming into my one year. I mean, I want to hear more about the trials and tribulations associated with starting at a new company. I mean, there's so well, much building the social team from scratch. scratch. That's what I was going to say is there's so much there. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, when I was kind of thinking about my career, when, when you guys asked me that question, I was like, wow, I am actually subconsciously, I think now, <laughs> didn't realize it until this moment. I am drawn to roles and companies where it's the first ever team, yeah. you know? So like that opportunity early days at HP to, hey, come figure out this Facebook thing as a brand, like that was new. You know, going to the agency side when content in general was really picking when up When we steam. first started even using the word content. Right. <laughs> exactly. What does that look yeah. like, right? For, for a lot of brands and how do you build a content operation? Dolby, first time they've ever marketed to consumers in 50 years. Stitch Fix, same thing, you know, had just IPO'd Mm. and was like, all right, now we need to kind of grow up as a brand. How do we build a team around it? And now Lyft, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but (laughs) (laughs) I seem to be drawn to roles where you get to build from scratch. And I think there's consistency in all of those roles in terms of like, well, you need a creative team, right? right? Like a social slash content team is only as good as their creative partner, right? Internally or in some of these agency teams, Mm -hmm. you need executive support. Executives need to get social and understand it and resource it and budget it. You need people who are, I would say, resilient and easygoing because social especially changes for good or bad. Like it changes on the drop of a hat, you know? So you need people who are going to just be agile, right? Whether that's creating with agility or pivoting their strategies suddenly on a dime. So looking for those types of folks, I think is critical to building some of these in-house teams. I think just as equally important as the creative partnership, you need a strong partnership with your paid media counterpart. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's one thing I'll say is over the years, you know, early, early days at HP with Facebook, it was really free. (laughs) It really was free back (laughs) in the day. And then 2010, 2011, all of a sudden it becomes pay to play. And now it's you absolutely have to have paid media, right? Or or factor it yep. into your program. And so getting the budget to do that and getting the partners to support boosting content and syndicating content is, is equally as important. 
But across all of those companies, I would say those five roles or whatever I described, like regardless of whether it's Stitch Fix or Dolby or HP or Mattel or Samsung, they all needed those core components. Mm -hmm. So that's a consistent theme, I think, throughout my career is the building and the foundation of all of those roles coming together is so essential. That's actually something we want to talk about was just in general, when you work for a large brand like Lyft, it comes with more people and that means more opinions. And, mm-hmm. you know, hearing what you're saying about the different teams too, you know, there's always the struggle between paid media and creative and, you know, creating something beautiful that also is effective. So tell us a little bit how you manage the different teams and, you know, at the end of the day, make these decisions to get things done. Like, I feel like I'm a creative person and I daydream about ideas. Oh, we could do this. Or like, it'd be cool yeah. if we made a series about blah, blah, blah. And what I've learned over time at all these companies with different stakeholders, different opinions, different tastes, some environments are very hierarchical, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to get your CMO on board. <laughs> yep. What I have learned is if you can always tie it back to, I would say three things. One, what is the business need? What is this going to do to drive the business yep. is something I would always hear. Yep. Um, data, the data end of it. So you could have the best idea in the world, but if there's no analytics behind what you're measuring, how you're measuring it, or like historical context on what's worked and what's not worked, it can sometimes fall flat with getting buy-in. And then also making sure that it can stretch across other teams. Yeah. What I mean by that is, okay, it could go on an organic social channel and we all know the algorithm. You have a million followers and only like 2% of those Mm -hmm. people are ever going to see it, right? So if you can create something that not only lives on organic social, but could be used in an email and could be used on a landing page and could be used, you know, in a paid media program or like the PR team can pitch it as like a first ever blah, blah, blah. Like now all of a sudden everyone's jazzed and wants to get behind it. So thinking through ideas in that way, what's the business outcome? Like how can this unlock subscribers or drive additional revenue is always going to be something that wins people over coupled with can other teams use this, Uh right? So it's not a one and done. And then also what's the data end of it? What are we going in to learn? And what are we using from an analytics standpoint that's backing up why this is important to do? I love the piece you said about, you know, being able to, I guess, repurpose the content for all the different channels or making different departments. Just any stable to utilize it. It's like a map, I feel like. sometimes and there's so many platforms now right to post on and to do things for and we always stress that something should be social first in nature to perform well on Mm -hmm. social media um (laughs) tell us what your thoughts are on creating social first you know campaigns are creative and why that's so important yeah i always joke that the words social cut down give me <laughs> hives. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've seen over the course of my career, I've seen so much money, energy, agency, resourcing, dollars go into this beautiful anthemic TV spot-esque piece of work. And then they're like, oh, yeah, shoot, social. Here you go. Here's a 30 second. Put it on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's there. There's content. It backs up the campaign overall. But where I think you guys probably agree with this too, where like social really, really thrives is when you can take that core concept and make it feel native 
and intuitive mm-hmm. for someone who's on TikTok versus someone who's on Instagram versus someone who's on Instagram stories yeah. because they are definitely yeah. becoming a different audience, right? Versus someone who's searching for things on YouTube, right? Versus getting fed a YouTube ad. Like that's right there. Different What's that? Four or five yeah. different pieces of content that need to be shaped and molded to reach the particular audience. So that is not easy to do that. When you think about almost like a content run of show for a particular campaign, all of the resourcing, energy, focus, love goes into that master anthem piece of creative. And yeah. then all of a sudden people yeah. are like, oh, we know all the social extensions of it. And it becomes an afterthought. And you can, you totally. can tell when a brand hasn't really thought it through, right? So that is something that every time I hear, oh, we'll just do social cut downs. I'm always like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. We need to like break off this work stream and really think about what it is on social almost as a separate yep. entity in a way, Amen. you know, I'm, I'm smiling right now because I <laughs> mentioned that I started following you on Twitter because someone sent me a tweet of yours. And this is, ties perfectly because the tweet was a piece of career altering advice for videographers and editors get crazy good <laughs> at storytelling through social media formats and no, not cut downs for social social first video ideas (laughs) and you said the amount of time social marketing leads spend telling video creatives what is needed is so time consuming we end up writing a prescription for each post frame by frame and someone sent this to me was like you were just talking about this because it resonates so well with me and like i think everything you just said before this backs it up of like it's obvious when someone is saying cut this down for social and it's an editor who you know does tv spots versus someone who knows how people consume social content A hundred percent. And I would say like during my time on the agency side, there are definitely talented videographers, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't want to like knock any videographers that I've encountered (laughs) in my career. But finding ones that understand 30 second versus 60 second versus tappable Instagrams versus YouTube, they are a rare breed. So that's why I put that tweet out. I was like, look, if you are thinking about your video career, if you invest time just even your own personal brand, like as a videographer, someone who has a portfolio, yes, you need a website, mm-hmm. you need all that stuff. Great. But like, go build an Instagram version of your work and play with the platforms, yeah. play with Instagram stories, play with reels, play with IGTV, so that you get a sense of what a social strategist is looking for when you know, they say, I want a social first campaign. I want a social first experience. And finding those people has just been so rare. Yeah. I don't know why. I love what you're saying about, you know, putting it on the networks. And I've actually seen a couple people use, you know, Instagram, like as their portfolio. Correct. I think it's so cool. Yeah. To show like, yeah, here yeah. are the stories that I've made and watch them in stories as mm-hmm. a user. Yeah. And also to just having a sense of the creative possibilities right. on the platform. I think TikTok has blown that wide open, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of average people who can <laughs> make jump cuts now, who can do storytelling through different angles, right? So the power of video is stronger than ever, I would say. And so it'd be great if we had talented folks who went to school for videography, let's say, who could start to dabble in that space. I think they would become a very hot commodity (laughs) because it does take a lot of time for social teams to explain why a cut down won't work as a story yeah or what trend you're trying to capitalize on like there's so many nuances there and it's more breath to find the examples (laughs) and to write it out yeah I want to shift to talking more about specific campaigns you've worked on recently we know ride sharing Mm -hmm. in itself 
is not very lonely. There's a lot of competitors mm-hmm. out there. And I feel like Lyft has done a really great job at differentiating themselves, especially on social, to stand out and still be the rideshare service of choice. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about and looking at the other day was the campaign that you're running about using Lyft to call a ride for family members to get vaccines. And I want to talk more about that. Like, what's the insight there? How is it currently playing out? And how do you feel like it is a differentiator than the Ubers of the world? Yeah, I think... I, when I was interviewing at Lyft, I was putting myself as a consumer. I mean, I take Lyfts everywhere. Yeah. I'm familiar <laughs> with the brand. And I always saw Lyft as a consumer as almost like the good guy, mm-hmm. right? You know, they've, they've, as a brand, just done things over the years where they've stood up for certain things or gone to bat for, you know, certain communities that I thought like, oh, well, they're kind of the good guy. So this vaccine access work that we're doing is, a, is an extension of that good guy vibe. One thing that is just transparently true about transportation is that not a lot of people have access to mm-hmm. it. There yeah, are right. communities where there's just not great buses and subway systems, right? And so getting access to a vaccine, you could have an appointment tomorrow, but like if you don't have a way to get there, it's very difficult for a right. lot of people, right? So that is one thing that we're focusing on here as we come into the summer months. I don't know where New York is on the <laughs> vaccine distribution thing. But in California, as a quick example, Governor Newsom announced that starting in April, I think April 15th, everyone who is basically 16 and up is now eligible and open for the vaccine. So we're going to have a massive population across the country that is going to be eligible for it and may not have a way to get there. Mm -hmm. So this campaign that we're kicking off, we've been slowly sort of getting it out into the world and you'll see a new wave of it coming any day now on our social channels. I love a good teaser. (laughs) Yes, But the insight is basically millions of people can't get to vaccines. So we want to be able to facilitate that, whether that is in partnership with a few corporate sponsors. So we're working with Anthem, JP Morgan, Chase, United Way, the NAACP to get people who, especially in those underserved communities, access to rides and discounted rides to get to their vaccine. But then we've also made some product improvements. There's a feature that we launched recently called Rides for Others, where you can, yeah. let's say, I'm in California and my parents are in Toronto, which this feature is also applicable in Canada. If they are a little bit older, maybe not as tech savvy, have never taken a lift, I could call them a lift basically from here. It would be charged to my account. I would take care of it, but the lift would be at their front door from California. Yeah. So we kind of saw that as like, you know, there's a whole swath of a population, a demographic, potentially older, who can't drive, Mm -hmm. doesn't want to expose themselves to COVID possibly by getting on a bus or whatever, if they haven't gone out in like almost a year. Right. And so this was a easier way for someone to facilitate getting a loved one to the vaccine. And it's just a simple product feature. But I think given where we are about to be with vaccine distribution, it could be super relevant for people to be able to help someone get there. I'm obsessed with that. It, the The logic around the good guy mentality and putting that into play for something that's actually useful is really inspiring to me. And it's really just heartwarming. Yeah. <laughs> 
So other than this vaccine campaign that's going on, tell us a little bit about something that you've worked on recently that's excited you. We saw in your bio that you are building the cultural content muscle at Lyft. What does that mean? And give us an example of how that has played out. Yes. So one of the things that is true to Lyft is that without drivers, there's no riders. Right. So much like Stitch Fix, actually, Stitch Fix's business model, you know, you get clothes sent to you, but there's someone on the other end, a stylist who's picking out the clothes and they're getting to know you and they're saying, these are your tastes and here's this the outfit I picked. Well, Lyft is very similar, right? So if we don't have a strong community of drivers out there, then y'all are going to be waiting for a ride, right? (laughs) As riders for a long time. So as we're, quote, getting back to normal, and vaccines and everyone's wearing masks and getting back out, we see an opportunity to double down on marketing to our drivers, Mm -hmm. right? So what's been interesting for me over the last couple months is we've been oddly tagged recently in some stories of very cool drivers. <laughs> so that. yes, for example, um, there's this woman, Lupita Infante, who tagged us and she said, not a lot of people knew or know that I used to drive for Lyft while I was trying to get my music career off the ground. So we saw this and we were like, who is she? What is this about? And you go down this rabbit hole on her and we discover that she's actually nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> this, I just, saw that. She was just, this amazing. just nominated. She comes from a family, like I think her grandfather is Pedro Infante. And then we start clicking and going down this rabbit hole. We we uncover that she comes from this superstar family of Mexican singers and actors. Oh my and God. the way someone described um, her grandfather to me is like, he's basically the Elvis of mariachi. So like, <laughs> basically she's wow. the granddaughter of like an Elvis-esque of person. Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so- we're like, oh my God, she is amazing. And she used to drive for us. That's crazy. So we found that there's a couple of these folks. So there's an MLB player that recently we discovered. There's an NFL player that used to drive for Lyft who was driving while he was sort of waiting to get called up to the draft. And now he plays for the Panthers. So there's all these folks that we're discovering through social listening and some articles that have been written about them that I want to pull in to do more cultural storytelling. So I want to, you know, these people are, they're in sports, they're in music, they're actors, you know? And so what I want to, people to sort of take away as we get this content going is you never really know who's behind the wheel of your next <laughs> yeah. So be nice to your driver, <laughs> take an interest in who they are, because you might be riding with the next superstar or the next Grammy nominated person, right? So that's where this intersection of the Lyft model coupled with the Lyft community of taking time yeah. to get to know each other while you're riding, coupled with the fact that these people are culturally relevant. They're, like I said, right. they're in music, they're in acting, they're in sports. I think it can click for people that this is more than just driving, you know, that this is opportunity for people to really kind of tap into something cool. So so you'll see more of that content coming out from us. Like I said, we're we're discovering these people just by getting tagged, which is interesting. Sure. I was going to say, I'm sure the writers have a lot of stories. Exactly. Right. So there's this curiosity that we're trying to inspire inspire um in those rides and i think too the other thing is those folks as they start to get back on the platform um as we open up here i think there's a lot of riders too like you said there's a lot of riders who have some interesting stories and so i Mm -hmm. think we'll start to see some opportunity with ugc coming 
as the world sort of opens back up, we'll start to see people hopefully tagging Lyft a little bit more in their experiences. Yeah, it's funny because like you haven't even experienced the full throttle of UGC since you just started in May, you know? It's like, (laughs) no, exactly. I I kind of want the floodgates to open for you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. This was amazing. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for letting me be your first episode of your new season. That's very, I'm very flattered by that. (laughs) Season six, starting off strong. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate the time. You know I love a good designer to market our story. Yes, definitely career inspo for you. Yes. I thought that Bryna would be like the dream client to mm. have because it seems like she has like such a good understanding of, you know, the creative process and yeah. what it takes and being that champion behind the brand that other people can kind of get behind is great. Right. And I liked listening to her talk about all of the different things that she's taking into consideration in building out the social presence for Lyft. Mm-hmm. You know, it's often sometimes those things work in a silo. Yeah. And it's very clear that for her, it's definitely not. I'm ready to get to know my Lyft drivers more. Yeah, we should ask more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm typically the, t- the type that doesn't like to talk when I'm in a, in a Lyft, but now hearing these stories that Bryna shared. Who knows who, who we knows? could meet? Who knows behind the Yeah, wheel. she's so right. One time we were in a lift and there was an America's Got Talent rapper. <laughs> Speaking of talent, mm-hmm. so the account that we want you to follow this week is more of a spotlight on a campaign that Clorox is doing. Mm, yeah, I love this. So Clorox and Tiva's latest campaign um, is partnering with Billy Porter for an original musical track related to a TikTok challenge. And instead of Yas Queen, it's Yas Clean. It honestly is brilliant. Yeah, so the challenge is in partnership with some influencers and a sweepstakes that, again, ties into this um, home makeover idea that's very popular on TikTok, as we even mentioned, you know, in the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a great example of how a brand can really integrate LGBTQ culture into large marketing efforts yeah totally and not just during pride month Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. exactly love it all right that's the episode thanks for listening and we will see you next wednesday all the social ladies 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 now put your phones up